reading from James chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Shalom. I want to just offer a word of explanation. Um, This is the first year that we have uh, talked about slichot in any kind of um, any kind of length. And I just wanted to explain, first of all, what slichot means. We've talked about that from time to time. By the way, can you say slichot? Mm. which literally means forgivenesses. Um, you may have noticed in, in your insert uh, a brief explanation for that. Um, I just want to explain that this is something that was mostly um, taken from the Orthodox Siddur, Orthodox prayer book. And another word of explanation is the fact that there are some things in the Orthodox and in traditional prayer book that are absolutely wonderful. Um, God honoring prayers, a lot of them from Scripture. And, um, and then there are some things that we feel the need to filter out. So if you look at, if you have a Siddur, a prayer book, Um, you'll find out that what we've done is somewhat different. Why did we do that? Well, we felt, we've been feeling the need to identify more closely with the Jewish community, especially during this time of the Moadim, in our capacity as priests. Now, you notice I'm not really wearing a priestly robe of any kind. Um, But Scripture tells us that we who are followers of Yeshua are called to be priests. And what is a priest? A priest is someone who serves as a mediator between God and man. And so uh, if you remember in Scripture that a major part of the, inter- of the role of the priest, especially the, the high priest, was to serve as an intercessor. And in case you are not familiar with the term intercessor, or in case the term intercessor strikes a great deal of fear into you, 
You know, sometimes people talk about, I am a spiritual warrior. And um, I take that with a grain of salt because, yes, we're all called to engage in a spiritual battle. Some of us are more gifted than others. But I think sometimes there's a lot of hype. And the short version is that God has called every one of us who is a follower of Yeshua to be an intercessor. Whether we feel gifted or not, that's what we've been called. That's part of the assignment that God gives us. And by the way, intercession obviously is something profound and mystical because on some level you are touching uh, the presence of God in a way that perhaps you don't do otherwise. Intercession is like anything in life. Please don't laugh when I say it's like brushing of teeth. Uh, How do you learn to brush your teeth? You do it. How do you learn to be an intercessor? You do it. And if you don't get it, you ask for help from God. Lord, I want to know how to be an intercessor. I want to learn to pray for others. Not according to my great profound ideas and thoughts, but according to your strategy. And what is unbelievable, folks, is that intercession that we engage in is part of the work of God. We somehow pray and intercede, and God does all kinds of jazzy things in the kingdom of God. You say amen to that. I dare say that most of us are here because somebody had been praying for us, interceding for us at some point in our life. So this season for us, our identification with the Jewish community is very much based on our desire to intercede and to say, Lord, you've called us to be intercessors for your people Israel. We want to do that. And so slichot are prayers that are designed in that, in that vein. They're penitential prayers. In other words, they're prayers of repentance that are offered uh, during some of the fasts, but especially as people are preparing for the high holy days. And they address the fact that Israel sins, sinned. And because of that, Israel experienced God's judgment, but yet it has been calling on God for, for, uh, for his mercy. And by the way, if you go to the traditional prayer book, you'll find that God's attributes that are described in Exodus chapter 34 are repeated over and over and over and over again. Uh, the so-called 13 attributes of God's mercy. So we desire to identify with Israel, both with the Jewish community here that is seeking atonement from God during the season, but as well we are also focused and want to intercede and pray for the Jewish people in Israel. And by the way, we're certainly not oblivious to the fact that there are other people suffering, especially this week. Um, We can't help but be horrified and um, outraged at the attack by the Syrian government with uh, nerve gas on its people. You know, when you have destruction take place, it's clearly indicative that Satan, Satan, is alive and well and active. Because Yeshua tells us that he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, See the same thing in Egypt. You see the same thing in Iraq. You may be aware of the fact that there have been about a thousand people killed in Iraq in fighting between the Shiites and and the Sunnis since April. 
And so part of the picture for Israel is the fact that there is palpable fear. There's, there's strong fear that this will spill over. And you may have heard comments by, I believe it was the Syrian foreign minister saying that if the United States attacks Syria, that it will retaliate by attacking Israel. Now, I don't know about you, this makes perfectly good sense, right? Uh, United States attacks Syria, so you beat up on Israel, right? Okay, we, we get that. Um, and I saw a picture that really tugged at, 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 the hearts, at my heartstrings this week. I saw a picture of an Israeli mother clutching a baby with one hand and with the other hand she was trailing um, several boxes of gas masks. Now, I don't know if you understand the emotional buttons and what it does for people in Israel, but anything having to do with gas in Israel is a powerful reminder of the gas that our people experienced during the Holocaust. Very, very, very strong emotional buttons and just in case you think to yourself, well, you know, this is Israel and Iraq and Syria. I'm here. I'm safe. I'm cool. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me give you a little fact here. You may have heard this week that Major Nidal Hassan, a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, uh, was sentenced to death this week. He burst into a clinic, a medical clinic, shouting Allahu Akbar and in, uh, without a, any a rhyme or reason just shot and killed people. So the notion that here in the United States we're safe and secure, that carpet has long been pulled out from under us. You know, with 9-11 and the meltdown in 2008 we get the fact that life is fragile. Life is fragile. And James, Yaakov HaTzadik, James the Righteous, is speaking to a community that is mixed. And again, if you, depending on who you read, what interpreters you read, you get different perspective, but Apparently, some of, of the people in the community or outside the community were feeling very secure, you know, sort of like the, um, uh, the electronic company, LG, Life is Good, and uh, who have all kinds of plans and ideas, you know, five-year plan, laid it out nicely, and so on and so forth. And uh, Scripture doesn't slam us for planning, what it slams us and criticizes us is for planning when God is outside the picture. So here, I I earlier in James chapter 4, he says, tomorrow we'll go do that, we'll spend money here, we'll do etc., etc., and, and he says, you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. So instead of saying, we're going to do this and this, you'll say, God willing, if it's God's will, we'll do that. Well, you know, I often hear us who follow Yeshua using that as, as a bit of a, um, I wouldn't say quite a mantra, but something close to that. You know, um, I'm going to get in a car and, and drive to King Super, God willing. And at some point, th the point is not to say God willing for this, God willing for that, God willing for the other. The point is certainly is just to recognize the fact that God rules over us. That He has control over our life in all areas. So it isn't just th that we say God willing, but that we live it with that kind of an expectation. That we live life with a good dose of humility in the midst of, not fatalism, by the way,
but in the midst of a very uncertain life. Last time we read and looked at the fact that the Word of God calls on us to learn to live with humility. And by the way, humility, as you can imagine, doesn't play real well for our culture. Um, humility in our culture means that you are basically a loser. That's how people make the connection. Because the attitude is, if you're successful and effective and wonderful, you strut your stuff. You let everybody know how cool you are. And unfortunately, that has spilled over into the body of Messiah, uh, into fellow believers, where we feel that we need to demonstrate how wonderful and effective we are, how we need to prove to everybody what we're doing. And so James, and this is something we looked at last time. I just want to review a little bit. In James 4, he says, Submit yourselves, 4, 7, Submit yourself then to God. Um, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. I want to pause for a minute and refresh our memory of what it means to humble ourselves. Do we sit and think humble thoughts? Um, do we endeavor to engage in self-deprecation to put ourselves down? You know, I'm really bad. I'm really awful. Um, do we endeavor to try and purge out any pride and any proud thoughts from ourselves? Like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the fellow who climbed a pole and sat on it uh, on a platform for 37 years. Is it about us? Is it about us really being humble? Notice that we often forget the fact that James is saying, humble yourself before the Lord. It's a very Hebraic, very biblical phrase, and what it means is that in the presence of God, in, before His face, you humble yourself. And, and that's, a, in a sense, a no-brainer. What are you going to do in the presence of God? Are you going to stand up and stretch your stuff and tell God how cool and wonderful you are? Just try doing that with your boss. You will end up flat on your tush. If we truly recognize that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord is in control, that the Lord is part and parcel of our life, and that we willingly invite Him to rule over us, then what is the right perspective? Of course it's humility. Because we realize that it's really not about us, but it's about God. And those, the more we know it, the more we understand it, the more we live it, the more it becomes part of our spiritual DNA. And yes, there's a part of us that has to embrace that that has to uh, grab it with both hands and both feet and say, God, I want you to be the one who gets all the credit, not me. There's a, an expression in Scripture, only to you, Lord, only to you belongs the glory, not to me. If we have that perspective, then our attitude will be, Lord, teach me to live that way. I want to. And where I'm stupid, which happens from time to time, then Lord, would you please point it out that I'm elevating myself or that I'm allowing people to elevate me and, and tell me how cool I am and I am embracing and, and, and drinking it in. By the way, part of reality for us who are sometimes on center stage is that sometimes folks come to you and tell you how wonderful you are. 
you know, I've, I've had people say, say things such as, I'm so glad you are you. My response to that was, well, I tried being Zsa, Zsa Gabor and it just didn't work. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? You know, either, either we, we hunger for that affirmation, we long for that affirmation, we, we, we desire that, we pant for that affirmation. Either for people to come alongside of us and tell us how special and wonderful we are, how effective we are, or else we can take the other perspective where we feel like we need to affirm ourselves. You know, yes, I'm a good guy, I'm a good lady. Uh, I'm doing things effectively, successfully, uh, even things unto God. And we can try to build ourselves up. And of course, pride is part of the picture then. If we truly understand who we are, or l- let me rephrase that, if we truly understand how God, who God is, then we will also truly understand who we are, and we will be secure in our identity and our relationship to God. Amen. We will not need to feel like we need to be affirmed, and 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 either in our own eyes, in our own estimation, or in other people's estimations. If you have lived long enough, you know that sometimes folks who tell you how absolutely cute and clever and wonderful you are will come back at some point and say, oh, you're, how could you do such a dumb, awful thing? The bottom line is you learn to acknowledge who the Lord is. And that's what you want. You want for the Lord to fill the screen. You want for the Lord to be honored and glorified. And you know, down deep somehow, somewhere in your anatomy, that if God is glorified and exalted, you will come out looking good somehow. That you will not come out on the short end of the stick. So James here devotes a bunch of attention to the need for humility in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, James devotes a bunch of attention to one of our least favorite topics, and that is patience. You know, you've heard people make the, the wisecrack of don't pray for patience. Well, Yes and no. It's God's business to teach you that. But yes, you want to learn to be patient. And in, in this section that Tracy read to us, words having to do with patience are mentioned again and again. Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. In case you missed the point, verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And in case you didn't get the first two times in verse 10, brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And by the way, depending on your Bible, you may have either translation that that renders it as patience or else as perseverance. They're basically basically close cousins. We'll talk about perseverance in just a moment. What is patience? Before you pray for patience, maybe you need to know what patience is. Well, first of all, What patience isn't is a wad of frustration. You know, again, in our society, we are impatient. We chafe when we have to wait. You know, when you line up the post office or the store, and for some reason the store doesn't have it together, 
and they're short staff you end up having to to stand and wait and you go okay let's see when is this going to be over or if you are computer savvy and uh your computer is becoming ancient that it's becoming slow you want a fast computer you know this is part of the american mindset um by the way, let me encourage you, if you go to Israel and other countries, you will get a better idea what patience is about. <coughs> and uh, that's not only true in the larger society, it's true for us as believers. Do we find that patience is a virtue that is appreciated and valued? I would say definitely not. Our perspective is, how come things aren't happening? What's wrong here? You know, 23 years, you can imagine how many times I've heard people saying that. You know, how come you don't have your, old, your own building? How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that? And um, you can either be driven mishugi by that Trying to say, oh, well, I'm sorry, you know, we sh we we're really doing the best we can. We'll try to come up with the building tomorrow. <laughs> or else, you learn to understand the scriptural teaching about patience. Which, by the way, is described both in the Tanakh and the Old Testament and also in the New Patience is expressed through words associated with waiting, such as kava, those who depend on the Lord in confident expectation will renew their strength. In the New Covenant, New Testament, it's a bit more associated with perseverance. And by the way, in this section, we see that words having to do with patience or perseverance appears seven times in these verses, in five verses. So again, what is patience? Is it lying down uh, and giving up? Or is it the more spiritual form of that passivity, fatalism that says, ah, God will do what God will do, and that's fine with me. I can influence what he's going to do and, and change it in any sense. Oh, that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Not. Patience in Scripture conveys an active attitude of seeking God and waiting on Him in expectation that He will act. Patience is based on a basic understanding of who God is. That he doesn't play cat or mouse with us. Uh, you may, and you may have noticed, by the way, that here in James, on both occasions, James gives the whole idea as a command, as imperative. He doesn't say, if you think that's a good thing, it's a good value, then yeah, exercise patience. He says, be patient. Be patient. How do you be patient? How do you do patience? How do you act patiently? Well, again, it's not passive. First of all, God doesn't put a gun to us and say, you will be patient. Or you die. We certainly can choose to be impatient. We can allow our frustration with people and with circumstances to boil over and drive us to take actions that are not of God. Because we desperately want to fix things. And we all do that from time to time because we're under the gun and we feel like we, we're tired of waiting and we, we need to take steps. We see all kinds of examples of that in scripture tired of waiting and so by golly I'm going to fix things 
tempting, isn't it? It doesn't say much for our understanding of who God is and what God wants to do and his ability to act. Because if we're convinced that we are the ones who need to fix it, then God is really in the corner somewhere. He's fairly irrelevant, isn't he? And we're not really willing to trust God in certain area. Patience and waiting, something that doesn't come easy, but easily rather, but it's something that the giants of the faith, the men and women in Scripture, knew how to be patient. The writer of Hebrew puts it this way We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience or through patient faith inherit what has been promised. Again, patience understands the fact that God is firmly in control. Patience understands that He is working His good plans for us. And patience in us means that we're willing to depend on God to work out those good plans. Ouch. And that's a steep learning curve for all of us. You know, sometimes we get it in one area and then the Lord comes to us and says, okay, you got it here. Now let's work in this area. Sort of like a uh, chicken on the spit, you know. One area is well done. The other area still needs a bunch of heat. Then James also talks about perseverance. Again, close cousin to patience. And perseverance can be loosely translated as bearing up under a heavy weight. Under difficult circumstances, the picture that comes to mind is someone who's doing weightlifting and and pumping iron and, and pushing the weight. That gives you some picture. But perseverance always involves a set of difficult circumstances. When you think about it, if you have been involved in athletics, you're familiar with people who have, people who become good athletes do so because they learn to push their muscles. And perseverance involves our spiritual muscles. And by the way, Scripture gives us a number of these athletic pictures. Um, runners who need to finish a race in Hebrews 12. Um, our need to be involved in a wrestling match spiritually in Ephesians 6. And then everybody's favorite picture is that of the goldsmith and a chunk of gold, how that the goldsmith takes a torch or fire of some sort and heats up the gold so that he can come and scoop off the, the scummed impurities and take the metal and make it purer. And this is part of, of reality for us, folks. James, earlier in, in chapter 1, and this is kind of like a, uh, uh, a s bookends, James 1 and James 5, <coughs> that speak about perseverance. In, in chapter 1, James puts it this way. You know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Same kind of picture of gold being uh, heated up. So perseverance always involves difficult circumstances. And here's something else that doesn't work well with our American mindset of let's get it done today. It's a lengthy process. It takes time. It's not a quick one. It's, it's long distance versus a short sprint. And James in chapter 1 goes on to say that if we are impatient 
and we try to cut corners, then what we end up doing is short-circuiting God's work in our life. Now think about that. God brings heat into our life, into our circumstances. He sometimes allows and sometimes directs us, drives us into difficult circumstances. Why? Because He has work that He wants to do in us, in our character. He doesn't just want us to be characters. He wants to develop character. And James puts it this way, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. How do you become a mature man of God, a mature woman of God? Do you, do you take maturity pills and swallow them and bingo, you become a great mature man of God or m mature woman of God? No. You allow God to take you through the fire. Ouch. Perseverance must finish its work. And unless we understand that God is at work in our life, that He's committed to us, that He wants to develop and mature and clean us up, what we end up doing is we bail out and we say things such as, this is too difficult, it's too painful. <coughs> and because God is gracious, He will custom design circumstances in another situation for us to experience the fire and to experience the pruning and the cleansing and the refining and then we go round and around and around and around not because the Lord is sadistic but because he loves us he wants to see us cleaned and filled and over all the years of ministry, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people convey the attitude that says, this is too hard. I'm bailing out. It hurts. What we don't realize, folks, is that at the pain level is where the healing comes. You think about it, a doctor cannot bring about, cannot bandage us unless they get to the point where where there's the wound. And it's a battle of faith for us. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust God? Or are we going to say, Lord, forget it? You know, I mentioned earlier that Joy and I had some um, additional coursework in uh, trusting God. <laughs> Without going to all the... Uh, grim details we were in a situation that had the potential if you're familiar with Kramer versus Kramer a movie that came out about 20-25 years ago when there was an ugly battle between two people over a child that was brewing over our granddaughter and I would be lying if I stood here and told you that every single point along the way we had the, I'll speak for myself honey, that I had just the right kind of godly saintly attitude. <laughs> and at some point God is faithful. He gets through to us through the thick titanium plates that surround our brains. At some point I realized that the truth of scripture that we cannot fight flesh and blood that we are if we are engaged in a conflict with somebody and if all our energy and our our, our angst is is focused on proving how rotten the other person is how justified we are then we're fighting the wrong battle there's a spiritual battle going on and we are and we're being suckered, you know, like, like a fish that's bit on the wrong kind of bait. So we determine not to fight against flesh and blood. And then we realized also, again another brain wave, that it is not God's will for us to, to resent people and have any kind of bitterness. A lesson that we've learned 20, 30, 
years ago, we, we learned from time to time, and uh, Wednesday night when we got together <coughs> and prayed, and Charles, bless your heart, brother, he prayed for the couple that we were involved, and I somehow realized that I had to come to a place where I was willing to pray for these people, and I was willing to step back and trust God that he will do his will. That is, in fact, what happened. Not necessarily what I wanted, but I believe what God wanted. This is what the Lord does with each one of us, folks. Is we either learn to persevere and we learn to listen to the Lord and receive his teaching and his instruction and allow him to come and use the fire to purify us or else we buck what he is trying to do and we kick like mules and we say, God, forget it. We can do that. We can do that. I've seen people do that. I've done it. We can take that route or we can welcome God to come in to all these areas that need His control and need His redemption and need His cleansing and say, Abba, Father, I need this, your work here. James, of course, here puts it in, in terms of the Lord is coming. And uh, for first century believers, the Lord's coming was something that was a no-brainer. Everybody was, it was on their screen. I dare say that for most of us, the Lord's coming, I mean, it, we talk about it, but the Lord's coming is really not on our screen. All right, we can admit that. Survival sometimes, or different issues, but the Lord is coming. Either that He could come before the service is over, which is, yes, we'll take it. <laughs> or else the Lord is coming as the judge in our lives in different circumstances. The Lord always judges Second Chronicles tells us that the eyes of the Lord pan back and forth through the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Fully committed to Him. So why be patient, why persevere, is that there's blessing in it. There's blessing. There's blessing in us learning to seek God, to wait upon Him, to ask for the right kind of glasses through which we can see what God is doing. The Lord is good to all those whose hope is in Him, to the one who seeks Him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. By the way, if you don't recognize these words, they come from the most depressing book in all of Scripture, the book of Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who wait on Him. <coughs> Let me say that again. The Lord is good to those who wait on Him. Amen. And James tells us again that those who have persevered, who have learned to persevere, are blessed. That as we welcome God to do His work with us, and he brings us through the fires and through the trials. And we learn to seek his way, not our way. Then we receive God's favor and God's blessing. And somehow through the process, we get strengthened. Peter puts it this way. The God of all grace who called you unto his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while... I know we say, Lord, a little while. How do you define little? <laughs> the Lord will himself perfect or, or restore and establish and strengthen you through the fire, folks. 
Do you hear me? Through the fire. God does that through the fire. If we are willing to allow him to take us through circumstances that are difficult. Instead of bailing out. There's another reason why we need to learn to be patient and persevere. As God does this work in us, then we are equipped then to minister those truths to other people who are also struggling. We are empowered to serve in a similar role to those who are going through tough times and, and, and encourage them whether they're believers and followers of Yeshua or not. We're empowered to encourage them that there are answers through the tough times. The writer of Hebrew puts it this way, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it to those who are eager to let God minister those truths to them. Therefore, this is Hebrews 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for your feet. Kind of strange the way it's put here, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I believe part of the message here in Hebrews 12 is that as we are strengthened ourselves then we are equipped to help others and we help make a way for them to receive the same kind of strengthening and healing from the Lord and then final thought here in this passage that Tracy read to us my brothers if one of you, sh- one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back remember this that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. I I don't believe that James, uh, as he's writing this, is really interested in diving into theological debates of predestination and uh, Arminianism versus Calvinism and eternal security and all this. We just need to take the word as it is. Because the truth is we all tend to veer off the path, right? Right? I guess I'm the only one who does that. <laughs> and so part of the picture for us being in a community of faith, in a mishpacha, is that as God strengthens us, then we learn to encourage others who because of discouragement and circumstances and impatience veer off the path and are disappointed with God. And we say to them, brother or sister, God is in control. He is working a good plan for you. Learn to persevere and to press on. That's part of the picture the Lord has in mind for us. Through learning this patience and perseverance is to become all that he wants us to become. Let's pray. And would you please stand? Hallelujah. Father God, you know where this passage, your word as it has come forth this day in all different forms. How your word, Lord God, has been impacting us. And Lord God, we desire to be men and women who hear your word and obey. And Lord God, you know where this finds each of us, you know our individual struggles our victories, our failures. And Lord God, we pray for eyes of faith to see you at work. We pray, Lord God, for that special grace from your Ruach 
Lord God, to enable us to learn to live in patient faith, in active faith. Lord God, that the special grace to be able to persevere and to press on, Lord, towards the good things you have prepared for us. And Lord God, we pray that not just for ourselves, but, but we pray that we would be vessels that you can use, Lord God, to touch and impact others. Lord God, we pray that your Ruach would stir us today. Give us holy boldness, Lord God. Give us holy chutzpah. To see, Lord, what it is that you're doing in our life individually and corporately, Lord, as a mishpacha, as a congregation. And give us, Lord God, the courage to embrace it, Lord God, with both hands and both feet. Lord God, that you would receive much honor and glory and that your good and gracious plans and purposes in us will be fulfilled, Lord. That you would bring us to the kind of depth and maturity in you, Lord. The kind of, the kind of empowering and equipping, Lord God, that we need in order to serve you according to your will. Father God, we pray for each one of us as we wait upon you, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that none of us would leave without hearing your voice, Lord, without hearing, hearing your words specifically geared and directed towards us. To us, Lord, heart to heart, we pray. In the name of Yeshua.